Good evening. Welcome to Fort Lauderdale's Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Brian? So, the joke tonight is a question and answer. Um, how many sponsors does it take to change a light bulb? Sponsors can't change a light bulb. The most they can do is offer guidance based on their experience, strength, and hope. If the light bulb wants to change and is willing to go to any length, then a higher power can change the light bulb. Uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everyone's ready, uh, we're going to start the meditation.
Please join me in saying the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Justin to read Appendix 2, A Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what it is. And I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Justin, and I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or spiritual experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the very, excuse me, in the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what what the psychologist William James called the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is in, in himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource in which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that the alcoholic capable honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one needs have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are, in the, these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof against all arguments, and which cannot, be found, uh, cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That, is, that principle is content prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous.
Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or simply just turn them off. Um, we're going to have our speaker now, so please welcome Joe Bear. Thank you, everyone. My name is Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. And my home group is the Wednesday night study group. And while I'm up here, I'm just going to have to tell you that it meets on Wednesday night in Pompano Beach at 7 o'clock. Excuse me for a second so I can see you. Oh, there you are. Uh, and we studied the book of AA. It was uh, modeled from my former sponsor, John Williams, who's passed now. But he modeled everything after the big book seminars, which he was heavily involved with, that uh, you all might have heard about, the Joe and Charlie big book seminars and Willie B and him and boy, they... They delivered this message with such wonderful, you know, such a wonderful way to many parts of the, the country and some parts of the United, uh, the the the, uh, the rest of the world. So um, it was a message heard around, a lot around. So I'm grateful to be here tonight, and we've been talking about this need, this 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 need to believe. You know, I. The question I was asked many times was, you know, why is it so difficult for you to change your point of view, Joe? Because um, I was really so entrenched in my views and so entrenched in the way I thought it was that, you know, anybody that would offer anything different, the argument pursued, you know, and it was an argument, an unfounded argument, a useless argument, an unjustifiable argument, because... Where I was and the things that I was entrenched in, my belief systems and my attitudes and all my ideas and the way I thought it was, um, was, it was, it was, it was keeping me ignorant to what was possible for me. It was keeping me from getting anything valuable. You know, I would immediately in my mind discern whether it was uh, uh, good for me or bad for me. And, um, and it was, it was mainly focused on change, you know, just simple change, you know, that maybe you'll have a different perception of why you're, why you're, uh, you know, you're in the situation you're in, Joe, you know, <laughs> I was, I was not in a good situation when I was drinking. I was lost. I was beaten and mangled by the streets of Fort Lauderdale. I'd been kicked out of my hometown, West Palm Beach. I was sent to Fort Lauderdale, and then I eventually got kicked out and had to go to Texas because there was somebody there to take care of me or to look after me. What a pitiful place to be in for a human being. But thank God those people were there for me. But what would it take for me to change my point of view? And somebody said to me one time, you know, that that the, the pain of staying the same has to be greater in the pain of change. In other words, changing must become easier. The payoff and the reward to change must become easier, even if it's my point of view, even if it's my perception and my belief system, right? The way I think it is. And you know, I, it's, it took a, a, a little bit for me to grasp that statement. You know, why am I so resistant to venturing into the possibility of a new relationship 
with anybody, much less God. I thought my relationship was perfectly adequate. I thought my relationship was given to me by my family when I was born. It was, it was inherited. It was part of me and um, never, never, never even dreamed of venturing outside the box of that religion because of what it would do to my family, you know, of how it would hurt them. I mean, I, I knew it would. And consequently, I quite frankly felt that I didn't have to do anything else because of that inherited label of what I was born to, what I thought I was born to be. But I later realized that, you know, I was, I was taught that. I was told that this is who I am and this is what I was. And quite frankly, uh, not until I got a little older did I, did I realize that, you know, especially when I was contemplating changing my whole perspective on this and my whole understanding of this, is that they that that uh, uh, the the way to a relationship was drastically different than anything I had ever practiced in my life towards the religion that I was born with or inherited from my family. You see, I went into that religion simply feeling that it was a ticket to to, to something beyond this life. That that in of itself would provide me the 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 the, the transportation to the next place. And I never, ever really learned that development in relationship to this power that was behind this religion, which is behind many religions, was something that I had to participate in, something that I had to develop and intentionally participate in and exert uh, effort into building that relationship. One-on-one, not one-on-many, not in a setting of hundreds of people, But in my own house and in my own room, having those conversations, imploring this God to have a relationship with me, reveal himself to me. Let me hear, let me, let me develop my relationship and my two way effort based on what is revealed to me. So the first time in my life, I started asking who this was, who he was to reveal himself. I I intentionally asked him to reveal himself to me. I started doing things in a different manner, behaviorally, that would have a display or a reflection that I really did want to have this power intimately involved in a two-way relationship with me. So I started taking that approach, not, not before the steps, but in the steps, right? I had to see that the pain of staying the same was not giving me the ability to overcome alcoholism. It didn't provide me the ability to stay stopped. I, st- I stopped many times. I just couldn't stop starting. And I didn't know why until I read the doctor's opinion, quite frankly, that we have a death sentence. And it's not about stopping. You can stop a thousand times. You want to stop to go slap a cop, right? It's not about that. It's about staying stopped. And all of us, in our, last, in our last debacle, before we got sober, and hopefully everybody is here tonight, we have stayed stopped. Some of us new coming in have stayed stopped on the ability just for grace that has been shed over us by a loving God 
that has heard our cry. You see, when we get into that final debacle, when we get into that lowest point of our lives, that lowest, darkest point, and there's no ego, there's no pride, there's no filters that are in the way of my soul crying out to God, please help me. There's no ego there. There's none of that interference. And guess what? When there's no interference, he hears us. We know this. It's a, everybody in AA that's been sober for a, lot, a little while will resoundingly tell you this is absolute truth. And we're brought, we, we get stopped. We come in, whether we go through detox or have whatever it is, and we're able to have an opportunity to begin working a program of change. You see, we've had that opportunity many times. I had it many times. I came in many times, but I just didn't change. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to have a new perspective. All I heard was, wah, 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 when anybody said, hey, let me, let me tell you something that might be valuable for you. The, the one time I can remember specifically when somebody by the name of Owen, Owen L., a dear friend of mine, met him at, at the House of Hope in one of my tours there, um, total opposites, you know, he was, I was the preppy guy with the golf club in my hand, he was the, he was the guy that was coming in off the street with the long hair, and, uh, you know, and, and, and hippie kind of guy, and uh, we just didn't, we didn't, like, we didn't really like each other to begin with, matter of fact, we had this animus, you know, this, we were so different, we made up stuff about each other, right, but we developed a friendship, and he comes to me one night in that house, and he says, Joe, he says, listen, I think I found a meeting that you'd really, really like. Now, mind you, I was still who I had become. I was still this guy that was just a fool. And um, I said, well, great. Did I have any women there? You can tell where I was parked. See, I was parked in a place where what I thought was good and what I thought was positive and what I thought would lead me to change had certain conditions and certain parameters. The way I thought it was just wasn't the way it was. The thinking that I had, the thinking I had, quite frankly, was killing me. I was literally, with my mindset, fighting for the right to die. Fighting for the right to die by this idiotic stuff that would come out of my mouth. Anyway, so he says, well, yeah, there probably is some women there. It's, it's, a, it's a mixed meeting, and, uh, but it's, uh, I think you really like it. So he kind of hoodwinked me into going to that meeting, and I walk in, and I see John Williams at the front of the stage. Nobody else is in sight. And then he, and I walk in, I hear music, and the music's blaring. I go in there, it's dance music, and I see John up at the front of the stage with one of these on, just dancing his fool butt off with nobody around, not giving a hoot about who may see him. You see, I was always concerned about how I looked to you. I was, con- I was concerned about what you thought of me. I was always concerned about what you said about me and, you know, your view of me. I was consumed with it. You were my God. I was playing to you to make me feel like a somebody because deep down I really felt like a nobody. And he's just dancing away. I'm going, Wow. That's odd. I've never seen that before. But something caught my heart, and it was, this man doesn't care what, he, what people think about him.
This man is free of that. And I so desperately wanted to be free of that. I got tired of pretending. Tired of being a phony and a fraud. Tired of being an imposter. I didn't know what I stood for, but I know I didn't, I didn't deserve to have to have that life sentence. Well, he became my sponsor. And uh, time went on, and um, he said, all that will come to pass, Joe. Everything that has happened in your life prior to this very moment, it's been written in the book called Your Life. And that chapter is over. It's time to start a new chapter. One that you can be proud of. One that you can take comfort in. One that builds a new past and a new future and a new present. One where you can stand in your two shoes and be grateful for who you are and who you were created to be. So that ease and comfort only comes from him and that you call God. And it's simply time to get to know him better. I said, well, what do I have to do? He says, go home and read the doctor's opinion. (laughs) Note it, study it, immerse yourself in it, and ingest it. And the very next, the very next, the the later that week, I went to the big book seminar, and they were talking about this, and they, they talked about the need for change, the need for understanding, different understanding, need for different perspective. And when I read it and I heard those guys talk about it, I understood for the first time in my life I was living with a death sentence. I mean, if you can't stop when you start, and when you're stopped, you can't stop starting, you're going to die an agonizing, incredibly lonely, dark death, as many have that we know in this room. Not a way to go. We were created for something better and more profound than we could even imagine. It's outside the box of our understanding. It's outside the box of our thinking. But the purpose comes from our creator. That's where it comes from. I have found that to be true. And it's to carry the message to another alcoholic who's suffering. But I've got to know the message before I can carry it. I've got to have something I can tra- tra- that I can transmit. Vision for You says we can't transmit something we don't have. So, I get that information. It's more impacted by more about alcoholism and this whole thing about this black cloud that comes down and separates me from the truth and not being able to start. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm restless, irritable, discontent. I have all these things inside me, the fear, the regret, the shame, the remorse, the bitterness, feeling like a failure and a loser. Certain all of you know that about me. And I'm pretending as hard as I can that that doesn't exist. How are you doing? Great. And be dying inside. I know what that feels like. And there's only one thing that will cure that and give me ease and comfort that I know of at that time, and that's booze. But there's got to be something better, right? So I move into step two. I find that I'm powerless, and I, I find that this book offers a way out, which is power. It's a vertical approach. Imagine that. It's a, it's a power greater than myself. It's a power that's greater than human power. That's what they say, greater than human power. 
So all the people and all the places and institutions that I have been in my war, all since, since I started going to war with this thing, I find that all of them are staffed and housed and facilitated by human beings. No human power. It can suffice in the beginning. We can lean on people in the beginning, but eventually we must find a power greater than human power if we are expected to live a long life, a long life of, of, of accomplishment and satisfaction, remaining grateful. So I, I immediately had that debate come up in my mind. Where, you know, made a decision to turn my will, which is my thoughts and my life, which is my actions, over to the care of God as I understand him. Well, I had an understanding and it was good to start with that, but I knew it wasn't sufficient to overcome drinking. I believed in that deal. I didn't have a relationship with God in that deal. So I knew there was something missing for me. And um, brings me to, to some of the things that we, that, that we agnostic speaks to and it, right on the first page. And four different times it talks about this, about, and believe me, they're teeing up here. And we agnostics, everything that we're reading from the doctor's opinion on leads us to a decision, people. It leads us to a decision that will make the difference between the rest of our life. It will, it will, it will change our destiny, this decision. Or it will only, only lead to pain, devastation, darkness, and the same that we've been experiencing. So what... what, what what would make me change? What would be greater than the pain of staying the same? Just to have a different perspective and follow a different path. Doesn't mean we follow a different God. You don't have to do that. But we have to build on something because I can't stay stopped. Right? So it says, if when you honestly want to, you can find you cannot quit entirely or stay stopped. Due to the obsession of the mind, this lie in our mind that tells us it'll be different. Nobody will know. You know, I just need a little relief. And then back to the, back to the bottom again. So it says, if you, can't, if, you, if you find you can't quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take because of the allergy of the body. We put it in, we can't stop. We put it in, we can't moderate. We put it in, we keep going until we're either stopped or pass out Waking up saying, I'll never do that stuff again. Firm resolve. Doctor opinion. Doctor's opinion. Right? And this continues on and on and on. And unless this person has an entire psychic change, a.k.a. spiritual experience, a.k.a. spiritual awakening, a.k.a. profound alteration of my reaction, you name it, transformation, caterpillar to the butterfly, I don't care what you call it, but it's a profound difference than what I was thinking before. It says this, if you can't control the, so it goes over that and says, you're probably alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, I can concede those two things to my innermost self. If that be the case, you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Right? Ask us, we just have to ask ourselves, what else has worked? John, John looked at me and says, well, how well is what you've been doing working out, Joe? How do you answer that problem? How do you answer that question? 
He says, what you know that's killing you. It's what you don't know. It's going to save your life. You're not coming into halfway to, to, to let everybody know how smart you are. You're coming in to find out what you don't know. You come to AA to find out what you don't know because we don't know the, 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 the priceless information of how to stay stopped and live to good measure. Makes sense to me. And it says this, to one who feels he is an atheist, an atheist who, who are a group of people that believe they can prove the non-existence of God, or agnostic, those are, that are confused about God, believe God, they don't necessarily uh, uh, disbelieve that God exists. They just don't think he believes in them, right? Or it comes down to the basic root, rudiment of the word. It's ag without gnostic, which is knowledge. It's what you know that's killing you. What you don't know, it's going to save your life. I need knowledge but I need to start applying and doing things different as well. And I need to be taught that. I need to be coached that. I don't make it up. Listen, I, was a make, I made everything up in the past. And no wonder I was dying. Why would I want to attempt to make up what they're talking about in here? Because I may misunderstand it. Right? It says, to an atheist, atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But... To continue as he or she has means disaster. See, we know that. There's no, there's no question of that. There's no argument for that. We all know it to our bones. We can't deny that. We know disaster. Especially if he or she is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Well, what's the hopeless variety? You can't stop and you can't stay stopped. That's it. It says to be doomed to an alcoholic death, step one. See, if I've just admitted I'm an alcoholic, that my thinking is unmanageable or broken, my mind, you know what they're talking about, right? Then it says to be doomed to an alcoholic death, if I'm in the midst of step one, if I'm in the condition, the actual current condition of step one, I am still drinking or active, or may have stopped for a minute. Step one doesn't mean I stopped. It just means I'm acknowledging that I'm powerless. I've lost the power to choose whether I'm going to drink or not. I'm going to drink. I can't not drink. I can't stop starting, right? So it says to be doomed to an alcoholic death, step one, or to live on a spiritual basis, step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, there's not always easy alternatives to face. Why? <laughs> Why is that so hard for me? Why do I have to sit back and say, well, let me think about that for a minute. Let me contemplate that for a minute with a broken mind, I might add. Let me think about the payoffs and the rewards I might get. <sighs> says, but it isn't so difficult. Half our original fellowship were exactly that type. At, some of us, at first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, like me. Hoping against hope, we were not true alcoholics. Yeah, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. But I couldn't deny that I couldn't stop when I started, and I couldn't deny that I couldn't stop starting. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Or else what? Die. 12 and 12 calls it reconsider or die. Door number one, Monty Hall, let's make a deal. Door number one, live. Door number two, die. 
Door number three, we don't have a door number three. That's it. Those are our options here. We're dying from a deadly disease. <laughs> our whole life hangs in the balance. Everything, our children, our families, our, you know, our futures, our careers, our everything hangs in the balance. But if I drink, I lose it. And eventually we'll lose my life. If I'm able to linger, which many do, you see them on Broward Boulevard, my street of choice, I came from there too. That linger, do you think, do you think, did we live? Were we really living when we were in our addiction? We have to, you know, I have to remember that. I have to be grateful for what I have today because of that. So it says this, but cheer up. Like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics, our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. Why? Because the choice becomes easier to seek this power in a way that we never have when life hangs in the balance. When, when we die, you know, a lot of us, I think a lot of people, they don't believe that. They're, they're, they're trying to get sober on fellowship recovery. Like if I go in one hour a day and everything's fine, I can go out and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make do and, 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 and go to war with the rest of the 23. And just get by. How you doing? Hanging in there. Like Russell said, how you doing? Why? Mere code of morals and better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism. All of us would have recovered a long time ago. I could act that part in, in spades. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than human power, power greater than ourselves. And we all know that, right? I mean, how many people, how many of us, we, we were always trying to, to, to lean on the people that would help us out, help us up. And, you know, I mean, at the end, we were nauseating no- nuisances. Please help me. I swear I'll never do that again. Like doctor says, we come out of this thing with, with great resolve. Like, I'll never do that stuff again. Great regret. I'll never touch that stuff again. And we made them believe it. Next thing we know, we're drunk off our butts, begging them to help us up again. We have lost trust with people. We broke them. We broke them. It's no wonder a lot of us come in here as lone wolves. Wondering, oh my God, how am I ever going to make this? How am I ever going to be forgiven? Well, we have to be forgivable first. And that takes work. We have to be trustable again. That takes such work. There has to be consistency, commitment, intention, obedience. At least that's how I see it. Those are the ingredients I believe are necessary. Had to, at first they were, I have to. I had to do that. I had to go to meetings. I had, just listen to the language. I have to go to a meeting today. I have to meet with my sponsor today. You know, I have to go to the store today. I have to do this. And then all of a sudden, as this thing starts to take a hold, and this power starts to infiltrate our heart, because we're doing things to display to this power that we really mean what we say when we want him in our life, which is a decision we're going to take, right? It suddenly becomes a get-to. Like, I get to, wow, what a shift. What a shift in my thinking. 
Yeah, I get to go to a meeting today. I get to go to Alcoholics and God tonight. I get to go to the store. I'm, I get to buy groceries today. I get to live an, an uneventful, pleasant life today. <laughs> I mean, I never thought I'd say that without worry and despair. Because I have a God who loves me and adores me. So it says this. It says, so we got to find that we get to find this power greater than ourselves. Obviously, it says. But where and how are we to find this power? Well, we've read every book on the planet, some of us. We've gone to a thousand meetings, some of us. But we never found the great reality deep down within us because we never searched there. It says, obviously, but it says, well, that's exactly what this book is about. And listen to this. It says, that means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. Moral is simply another word for truthful. And it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God, so we're going to give him his name. We so try to avoid it. You know, we so try to avoid this issue. But I ask you, I plead with you, ask yourselves why? Why are we so resistant to changing our perception and our point of view when our life is hanging in the balance? When, when, when we've been going through this detox, retox mode for decades, dying, struggling, alienating ourselves from people. They don't even want to talk to us anymore. Why are we so resistant when it comes to the word God and seeking a relationship with it? Is it so hard? Only the dying will entertain this. Only the dying. So we get to, you know, there's a lot of information in here that gives us you know, the pers- why, why, why would we be willing to believe about electricity when we don't, can't see it, we don't know where it comes from, we just depend on that light switch, right? We believe in things that we don't see and can't, we, you know, our five senses, what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, and what we smell. That's how we became who we are when we get here. But this is taking us to a whole different type of vision. This is taking us to a different perspective a fourth level, a, you know, the sixth sense. And believe me, it is real. It is as real as I am here, standing here tonight, and it's as real as you sitting there tonight. There is no doubt it's irrefutable in my heart. And you ask anybody who's been around a little while, study book, studied this book and really taken hold of it, they'll tell you the same thing. It's matter in fact, it's a bigger fact than anything else. But the people, the naysayers, the people that are resistant to it say, it can't happen for them. Oh, yes, it can. <laughs> They're just the ones that haven't tried it. Imagine that. This will be great for you. This will be, it's so freeing. It's so empowering. It's so enlightening. It's, it's, it's just, it, it, it gives you a different perspective, a different interpretation of, of life, on it, life itself. I don't want to know. I don't know about that. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, is life going that well? <laughs> it's like Stevie B talks about going through that, the salad bar. You know, you get to the end, you got a plate, and you got one crouton on it. Why? If we were so addicted to picking and choosing what would, 
what, what recovery had to be to come into it. Why are we so picky, picking and still picking and choosing what we will and will not do, what we will and will not entertain? I was the guy that was addicted to staying ignorant, fighting for my own understanding of life until it, until it became greater. The pain became greater than the pain of change. His life was hanging in the balance, and I was about to check out. So we need to ask ourselves one short question. Do I now believe, or am I at least willing to believe? For me, it was a bit of a different twist on that. It's not that I never didn't believe. But I told John, I said, I'm willing to believe, John, but I'm willing to believe that a different relationship with this God is possible for me than the one I've ever known. Because the one I've always known wasn't working the way I had it all. It wasn't that God was the, 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 the broken part. It was me. It was the way I was expecting something for nothing. It's on that doggy train, WN, WSFN, wanting something for nothing. That was me. Wanting to do the minimum input, get the maximum return. That was the way it was for me. Right? Leave me alone. Do I believe or am I at least willing to believe? And like I said, it was simply that a different relationship was possible. I could buy into that. And they say this, that as soon as a man or woman can say that they do believe, or is at least willing to believe, willing to believe, why? Because well, my life is hanging in the balance. Not just my life, but the lives of all those that I broke. All the all the hearts that I just destroyed, all the collateral damage, the dark topic of conversation, the sadness in the heart for all my people. Those who say they're at least willing to believe, they, it says in the book, a hundred people say that we emphatically assure you you're on your way. It is, why, why would I be on my way? Because I'm taking me out of the picture. I'm ta- I'm, John says, look, you need to step into that bathroom, look in that mirror, and fire that idiot that's looking back at you from running your life. Because he sucks at it. I went, that's pretty large. It was so accurate. This said, says it, it has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, the cornerstone of my arch, through I'm going to get to walk through freedom. This is where I start to build. That I'm not going to, I'm not going to make the decisions. I'm going to put somebody else in charge of it until I develop this relationship. Somebody that has gone through this and turned their life around and is living this promise of, 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 of the big book. It says, upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. A wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. To me, that means a wonderfully different relationship with this power. A wonderfully different relationship that with this power, all my other relationships will be wonderfully built. All my, run, all my relationships with all those that I've hurt and stolen from and lied to repeatedly over and over and over can be restored can be reconciled, can be redeemed to where their new relationships, their new empowering relationships, where they become 
close and loving and trusting through this process. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about the spiritual structure that will be erected and developed as I work the prom, as I work the step process, as I work these directions, right? So that, that is the last thing I'm going to discuss before this um, and move into the decision that we're going to make. It says, yet we'd be, we had been seeing, oh, I'm sorry. Imagine, it says, um, I want to read you this incredible definition of spiritual experience. There's 100, 100 men and women that flatly declare that since they have come to believe or were even willing to believe in a power greater than themselves to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. Who wouldn't want that? Who would argue that? No one. No one that's living in our skin would argue that. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, and happiness and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly, key words here, sincerely, earnestly, wholeheartedly, not cerebrally, not mindfully, they're taking us away from that deal, thank God, right? This happened, have, happened soon after they wholeheartedly, with their whole heart, met a few simple requirements, a.k.a. steps. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making a heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. Why living, even when we weren't driving, drinking was unsatisfactory and hurtful sometimes. They show how the change came over them, and when many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, which I testify to, it is. They present a powerful reason why one should have faith or why one should change their point of view. Imagine that. Now, it says, actually, we were fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured. Think about this for a minute. And this, this started to happen to me at a very early age. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, a.k.a. the world. Everything that I did was a horizontal approach to happiness, a horizontal approach to comfortability and ease. A horizontal approach to purpose. Everything was looking outward to me because you had the answer and you had what I need. Right? But in some form or other, it was there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw, by coming into this, we finally saw that faith in some kind of God was part of our makeup. Just as much as a feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly. <laughs> Won't be long like a page. We're talking about step four. 
made a searching and fearless, moral, truthful inventory of ourselves. Not immoral, but truthful. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, step four, but he was there. He was much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it was only there that he may be found. It was so with us. If we can only clear the ground a bit, if our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, that's part of that old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs. That's where prejudice comes from. It comes from who I was, not who I'm hoping to become. You see, prejudice will derail me every time because I'm drawing a judgment about what I think is good, what bad, indifferent, valuable, invaluable to me. It comes from the past, people. Prejudice only comes from my past. And I'm trying to gain something in the future. I can't get the future. I can't get a new life from living from the past. I can't mix old things with new things and get something new. I'll get something. It just won't be new. It'll be contaminated with old. Old ideas, beliefs, and attitudes. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So I need a teacher. I need a coach who keeps me crystal clear on this path. It says, with this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. That's promise for those that are, that are not quite there yet. It says, one of, the la- one of the things that I think is profound, it says, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we need to be with that. We need to, we need to acknowledge that. It was nobody else's fault. We came in here consummate victims with V's etching in our foreheads, blaming everybody else for the problems I'm having in my life. It's their fault. It's its fault. It's the job's fault. It's the world's fault. It's this, you know, it's this, that, and the other. And I guess, I guess that works if you want to stay sick. If you want to stay in darkness. To stay sick means to stay active. It says, we couldn't postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition. And listen to this. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that God is either everything or else he is nothing. He is either going to be everything or he's going to be nothing. There's no in between. Not for people who are dying of the disease called alcoholism, where everything hangs in the balance. Everything. What, is, what, am I, what am I willing to change? What am I, why do I want to stay the same? These are questions. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? <laughs> if you understand this process, that we go from no, conceding the innermost self that we are dying of alcoholism, that, that I'm an alcoholic and couldn't manage my own thinking, my own life, A, that only God couldn't would if he were sought, B, and C, that it says he has come to all who have earnestly sought. He has come to all, not, mo- not most, not some, all. Again, what do we got to lose here, right? This whole thing leads us into that relationship that will give us freedom from the bondage of alcoholism and drug addiction 
and just about everything else, I will say everything else, that we're in bondage to, all the things that we're addicted to, other people, their thinking, their admiration, their respect, their liking us, they're thinking highly of us, they're thinking we're popular, and all this other madness that goes on, not only in human-to-human contact, but on social media. It's pathetic. It really is. So, this, this thing, in seeking, you know, in, in acknowledging who we are, acknowledging that we're powerless, acknowledging that we need power, making the decision to seek that power, and then going through the steps that will clear out the wreckage. John told me, he said, Joe, got to go to work. Can't, God can't live. Nobody that ever has described their God to me can live in a cesspool. The filth that's inside of you. The, the, the deceit, the lying, the cheating, the manipulation, the conniving, the gaming, you know, the, 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 the wanting to get something from them, all that stuff has got to go, man. We got to address it. We got to address why it's even in you. You know, what was it about me that would come to a place where I'd harbor those things? God can't live there. That's why we do this inventory. That's why it says do this. So when we do the inventory, it leads us into a program, an active program of change to reflect, to to identify the defects, to do a step three in the morning to work on a certain defect and hopefully have God remove it because we're asking him to in a humble way because we know we can't remove it. I know I can't remove my selfishness and self-centeredness and self-absorption and judgment of you and critical criticism of you. I can't do that myself. I need his help. You ever try to remove lust from yourself? Or selfishness from yourself? Or judgment from yourself? How do you do that? It's impossible. We need his help. And through a little trial and error of that, We get to go to our people and make amends because it's earnest, it's sincere, it's from our heart, and they see somebody different. They experience somebody different. Their whole experience is one of, who are you? Oh, my God. And when we leave that door, and when we leave that family, or we leave that person, they're going, who who was that? In turn, letting you become someone who gets to be the son or daughter that your folks have never seen before. The brother or sister they've never experienced before. The child that has never known their true father or mother before. A person they have never seen or experienced before. You know why? Because they're hearing and seeing and experiencing your heart rather than your head. Because there's a bigger, a bigger mission involved here. How do I display to my God that I really mean it when I say I'm going to turn my will and my life over to the care of him? I'm doing this work to show him, to display to him that I mean it. I need freedom. I need ease and comfort that comes from him. And confidence that comes from him. Because I couldn't get it for me.
In closing, we go into how it works. We go through, we read the steps as many people have heard. We get to ABCs that we're alcoholic. We, it says our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after. So they're talking about the doctor's opinion, more about alcoholism, there's a solution, Bill's story, how it plays itself out. Gets us to A, that we're alcoholic, couldn't manage our own lives, couldn't manage our own thinking. Hmm. That probably no human power could relieve us from our alcoholism. That is through experience and certainly a lot of pain that we come to that conclusion and can concede it. That God couldn't would if he were sought. We get that from the evidence of the millions of people and the many in this room that are pure evidence that that is the case. That is the result. We see them, we know them, we experience them, and we know they're living on a different level of dependency and reliance. It's it's burden to rely on ourselves, which we've done for so long. And then it says this, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou will. Have your way with me. Relieve me of the bondage of self, selfishness, self-centeredness, self-reliance, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties. Take away my greed. Take away my lust. Take away my selfishness, my inconsideration, my judgment, my criticism of others, my lying, my embellishing. Take them away, please. The victory over those, the victory over those things would bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Because only when those things are absent do I have value for you. That's it. And then at the bottom of that page it says, next we launched. So talking about this a little bit last week. Launch simply means Moving forward with velocity. Launched. Launched. Think of that word. And the first, into the vigorous action, the first step, of which is a, a painstaking way, path, that we never attempted. We look inward. All this time we've been looking outward. Though our decision, step three, to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, was important and valuable. As vital and crucial, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us off from him. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. I had to investigate myself to find out why I was so prideful. I had to investigate what I did with other people as a way to, to game them, to get what I thought I wanted from them, which ultimately ended up in resentment because they, 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 they revealed they knew me. They knew my game. So we're going to go into, even though uh, next week, I believe, is, five, is next week five, Mike? Six. We're going to catch it up and, and do a four, five, six, seven next week and find out where all this muckety-muck comes from.
And we'll be surprised to find out we've been looking at them all our life, every time we look in a mirror. So, thank you. Let's thank Joe one more time. Uh, we're going to have Joey come do the secretary report. Hello. Oh, there we go. Hello, everyone. I am your alcoholic secretary. My name is Joey. Hey, guys. Um, in keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, we have some members uh, pass around the baskets. Also, there is a QR code in the back if you guys don't have cash, don't want to contribute. That goes to our, uh, uh, our account. The group account, not our personal accounts, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. Um, as uh, as uh, we're passing the baskets, I've asked Lisette to come read the recovered statement. Um, we read this to explain why many people may identify as recovered versus recovering, and she's going to explain exactly what that means. So please welcome her. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lisette. I'm an alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Lisette. Beautifully done. All right. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the 4 to the 2nd edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Awesome. So um, at this time, is there anyone out there that would be looking for some sponsorship? Anyone that needs Awesome. Thank you. What's your name? Helen. Thank you. Awesome. So after, if you want to meet here, we'll have hopefully someone come and greet you of the lady variety or whatever's <laughs> works. Sorry. Um, now, anyone recovered out there in the in the rooms? Beautiful. Beautiful. So please see Helen after. Thank you. Um, we. Announcements. That's right. Sorry, I'm a little rusty here. Um, we had AA Intergroup. Heard of it? It's a great thing. It's where you can go get AA-related literature, medallions, also responsible for creating the where and when, and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and pay them a visit. BCIC, responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us cannot get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly to organize at the 12-step house. Any BCIC people here? 
That's okay. Pop over to the 12-step house. Um, next. We do have some volunteer opportunities. There's flyers for all these in the back. Um, Paulette will be gracing us with her presence uh, January, so we're excited for that. Home groups, Monday night, third floor of this building, big book study. It's really great. So um, we're going through to the wives, so we're getting past the working with others. So it's a good time. Six tables in the back, if you, if you don't mind, so the chairs can stay. Just make it look like that and, you know. Sorry, I'm not good at it. Yes, Mike Chase will help you if you need. All right. Um, as I said, Monday night's big book study. It's a great time. Come at 6.30. Alan will provide cookies. Um, he's a beautiful man, and he's, he's there. Um, and the meeting itself started at 7.15. We do have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back if you want. See one of the home group members. We meet every Thursday promptly at 7.15. We ask to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Um, we have tonight's sessions and all past speakers' podcasts online free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, I'd like to, we already invited everyone to the big book study. Um, those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up in the center aisle after the meeting. And we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Just can't get
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Just about to start. 
Christmas songs And people sing along And stomp their feet and raise their arms And here in this moment that we share Nothing could come song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
say, got one man that just won't say. 